2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Our pastor in El Paso used to say, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from an old grouch. I always thought that was funny, so that's always in my head every time I read that scripture. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Everyone say, that's me. You will be made rich in every way. Oh, come on. So that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me say that again. You will be rich in every way so that... You can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but, is, but it is also overflowing in many expression of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will, will praise God for the obedience that, that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everything else, with everyone else. So here we have this passage of scripture, and I know that most of the time when we read this, we think money, but I, I want you to, to look over this scripture, and he talks a lot about abounding and every good work. He talks a lot about generosity. He talks a lot about thanks, about gratitude, which is so fitting uh, for the season that we're in. And the reason that, that we are generous people, it's not just because we're, we're, we're uh, not because we're good people, because we're grateful people. Grateful people are generous people. See, this is what happens in divine partnership. Okay, God has God has set us. We are co-laborers with Christ, so God has established us as partners. You're not just you're not you're not a hireling. You're not just servants. You know, you're not just you know. You're actually a co-labor. God is working with you and through you. Say that tonight. Look at somebody and say, God is working in you and through you. You're God's partner. You are. You're God's partner. Listen, when when uh. God normally gives us seed, though, in partnership. God, we, we ask God, I love what Bill Johnson says. Is he says, we ask for the oak tree, and God gives us the acorn. So what happens is we ask God for things, and what he does is he gives us a portion of what that is, and he sees that we would steward it and manage it well so it can produce the thing that we desire in our heart. But how many know that God put that desire in you for the oak tree? So he's saying, here's the acorn. How will you manage it? This is what we call partnership. So we take this thing that God has given us and we work what God has given us. We see that here in 2 Corinthians 9.10, he said that he supplies seed for the sower 
and bread for food. So what does God provide for us? He provides for us food. He provides for us our need. He provides for us our, our, our pleasures, if you will. But he also provides for us seed. The problem that most people get into is they eat their seed. And so what happens is when you eat your seed, you stifle your harvest. So there's no harvest in your life. Why? Because God gave you seed and you ate it. So God wants you to be generous. Why? Because when you're generous, you get more seed. You get more. More, more, more. It's like this overflowing thing that happens in your life. And it's not just so we can be, get into materialism. It's not, not about things. Jesus said that in uh, John chapter 10 or verse uh, 10 or, ch- or uh, John chapter 10 or chapter 11, I'm not sure, but he says that life does not consist in the abundance of things. So God gives us these things in our life called resources, right? The acorns and the resources, right? We all have resources. Some of us have more resources in certain areas, and some of us have slants and bents in different areas, but we all have resources. I want to talk about a couple of those resources tonight just to get real practical with you and break down this message tonight. And the first resource that we have that God is calling us to steward is our time. Everybody say, my time. So what, what is that? God gives you your time. You know, we talk so much about, you know, being faithful to church and things like that. So we, we talk about four hours a week. I'm not sure how many hours are in a week, but I know there's 24 hours a day. And most of us, most people in Christian culture in America might spend two and a half hours is, is in something like a church worship service or maybe that time in a church worship service and in prayer. We're not even coming close to like what we would consider tithing our time. So what we have is we have this time and it's kind of like we're eating the seed of our time. We're kind of giving the minimum. Well, there's, and listen, these resources tonight, they're sacred. Are you with me? Did you know that your time is a sacred thing? It's a holy thing because you belong to God. So the time that God gives you is very sacred. When God gives you that time, he expects you to use it well. Because your time, just like your money, is a seed. Are you with me? So what are we doing? How much time are we spending in prayer? How much time are we spending doing the work of the ministry? We're not talking about church ministry. We're talking about ministry. Come on, are you with me? Ministry is what happens when you're not at church. Church might be ministering to you, but, but for most of us, ministry is what happens when we leave this place. So how much time are you investing in prayer? You say, well, I, I feel like that I don't have any time. Most people that say they don't have any time is because they're not investing proper time in proper places. So they feel like at the end of the day that their time has been wasted or they feel like they don't have any time. So the biggest excuse that we have in the world is I don't have any time. But the fact of the matter is, is we all have 24 hours in a day. It's what do we choose to do with our time? How are we managing the acorn of our time? And so what I've found in my life is whenever I invest my time, whenever I spend time doing God things, when I spend my time doing kingdom things, then God makes the rest of my time more pleasurable, more enjoyable. We love to say that, don't we? I'm so busy. How are you? Busy. Like we glorify that, right? Let's be going, oh man, we're just so busy. I'm guilty of saying that, right? What we're saying is, I don't really have any time. I don't have any time for you. I don't have any time for what you're requesting. My time's all used up on me. That doesn't sound like generosity with my time. The second thing that is sacred, a sacred resource, is our energy. And we talk about our energy. We're talking about our talents and our abilities. And these things kind of work together, um, time and our energy. 
But um, a lot of us, we, we have things that we're good at or even things that we're not good at, things that we could do, but we're just not doing anything. We're not really investing any energy. We're not investing any life for God, for the kingdom. And so we feel like we don't have any energy. So we're drinking like 40 monsters a day or 18 cups of coffee. Right? Especially on cold days like today. I'll take two French presses today. <laughs> Lately, that's been my jam. I'm like, I want to drink coffee all day because it's so cold. But I've got to stop there. <laughs> right? <laughs> all right. So, so we have our time. We have our energy. And third of all, the third sacred. And again, your energy, the, the emotional investment you make in the things that you do, that's what our energy is. Are you with me? Your energy is the emotional investment of the things that you're doing. That's what we're talking about with our energy. So one of the biggest problems we have in America is dads are going and they're dumping all their energy at work and then they go home and they don't have any energy for their kids because they got to make that green. Come on. Because they got to live in a bigger house because they have to drive a nicer car. they got to make that money so they can have bigger bills. It really makes no sense, materialism. Nothing wrong with things. Come on. The problem is when things have you. So energy, our energy, man, it's a sacred resource that God has given us, and he expects us to steward it well. Number three is our money. Now listen, when I, when I say this, I don't want you to feel like that God is just kind of like demanding. Like God, no, 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 God, God's not really like in this demand mode. Now there's things that God expects of you. There's things that God commands of you. I believe that those things are very new covenant. God has demands and expectations of your life. Absolutely he does. But he, but he's not, he doesn't have that tyrant mentality. Are you with me? He's not a, he's not a, a, a schoolmaster. He's not a mean wick. You know, the, in the parable of the, of the, uh, of the steward, um, that we talk about all the time, one of the misconceptions that the man had, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. You guys know what I'm talking about? When he said that, he said, you go. He said, well, sir, I knew you to be a hard man. He had a misconception. He wasn't a hard Reaping where you haven't sown. Well, he had sown. So he wasn't a hard man. So many times our misconceptions will keep us from partnering with God because we think that God's not really our partner. He's just our commander. No, listen, God, when God gives you your time, when God gives you your energy, when God gives you your money, he's coming alongside of you and he's working in you and through you. It's a partnership. It's a relationship. Now, he's in charge. Come on. He's the boss. But he's also our partner. He's with you. He's not like, go, you know, go, and then I'll stay here. No, Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. Go and do this. I'm coming with you. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who is coming alongside of you, the parakletos who will come alongside of you and help with the work of the ministry. So Jesus made this investment for us and in us by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his work on the earth. Are you guys with me? And so we just got to be yielded to it. And the third thing is our money. And uh, listen, money was never meant to control you. And this is what happens, right? We, get, we want more money so we can have bigger bills. And I've said that, but that's really true. I, I had that revelation a couple of months ago. I was, like, I was like, the reason why I want to make more money is so I can have a nicer car so I can have a high, higher car payment, right? Or have a nicer house so I can have a, and we don't think about it, so I can have a nicer house payment. We just want greater things. And there's nothing wrong with desiring things. Listen, I believe that God wants you to have things. And again, the problem is when the things have you. So money was never meant to control you. 
Money was meant to be your servant. Just like your time, just like your energy, these things, these sacred resources that God would give you were never meant to control you. Your energy level was not meant to control you. Your time was not meant to control you. Your planner on your phone or that you write down on was not meant to control you. You were meant to control it. I, I heard a wise man tell me one time, he said, he said, Josh, if you don't control your schedule, your schedule will control you. And I was like, okay, so I've got to get with this thing. Understand that God gives us these resources not to control us but for you to use to invest for the kingdom of God. It's your servant. Money, I've heard it said many times, money is a terrible master, but an incredible servant. It's a resourceful servant. Come on, are you with me? How many of you would like to have a little bit more money? It's okay. Yes, you can say that. I remember as a kid, they would take us to go get our pictures taken, and they would say, save money, and you just got to smile when you say money, right? Because we all enjoy having it. So, the, the reality is, 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 is some of us will have a slant in one of these areas, right? Some of us might have a lot more energy. Come on. Some of us might have a little bit more time on our hands, right, as far as, like, free time. You got to be careful there. I, I could just go off all day. I just don't have time. Yeah, you do. We all have time. What are you doing with your time? Some of us have more money. <clears throat> so the thing is is, is, is it's not so much, generosity is not measured by an amount. Hear me tonight. By a set amount. Just because you tithe doesn't mean you're generous. I'm telling you, this is Josh Brown getting hammered a couple weeks ago, driving in the car. Just because you tithe doesn't make you generous, Josh Brown. It means I'm Lord over your finances. Yes, you're proving that, but you're not being generous. I tell you, God, when I got home, I was like, baby, we got to be more generous. The question of generosity is what are you doing with what you have? Now, in managing these resources, there's... There's the standard, and then there's the sacrifice, right? It's like tithing. Okay, let's just, let's just put that in a box for a minute. The problem is this, is, is many times we, again, measure generosity by the standard. I'm fulfilling the standard, therefore I'm generous. But I'm not really being generous. Now, this isn't a message on money, but it is. So the problem is we get into principle living, right? We live by the standard. But God isn't about really so much the standard because he's in relationship. Now, when you're in relationship, when you live generously, the standard's always met. In fact, the standard's always exceeded. Mm. Are you with me tonight? Uh, I was talking to a pastor, a friend of mine. He says, you know, some people... um, he was talking about us meeting on Saturday nights. He's like, I figure some people will just come to church on Saturday night just so they can check their name off, so they can check on the roll, so they can say, I've been to church this week, right? That's kind of the standard. But God doesn't want us to just live in the standard. I did that. Don't forsake the fellowship of yourselves, assembling yourselves together. Check. Okay. What is church this week? Okay, pay my tithe this week, right? I gave of myself a little bit. Check. Went and fed the homeless this week. Check. Did my three good deeds today. Check. Was a good person today. Check, check. So what happens is we're really living by the law. 
We're not living in grace. And that what Paul says is giving. How many know that, that really with the thing about money is really giving doesn't even kick in until the tithe's already happened? We bring the tithe. We give an offering. The tithe's already his. <clears throat> so we have the standard, but then there's the sacrifice. Are you with me? So there's the thing that God requires, and then there's the thing that we bring that hurts a little. Come on, how are you with me down there? Like, there's a thing that you have to bring, and then there's the sacrifice, the thing that, that hurts a little bit, that, that it's a little bit more difficult to go there. But listen, fire always falls on sacrifice. But I will say this also, that God always wants more than sacrifice. David said in chapter, uh, Psalm chapter 51, he said, God, if you, if you delighted in sacrifice, I would bring it. Why would he say that? Does God want sacrifice? God doesn't want worship. God wants worshipers. God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants your heart. If he has your heart, sacrifices happen. So God changes things in the new covenant, right? And so what he does is he makes a renovation of our heart because before we were like, okay, I keep the standard, keep the standard, keep the standard, do sacrifice. And then what he, what he made available through the new covenant was the command of Jesus to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And nobody was doing it because Jesus said, this is what it looks like. And they were like, no, I can't check the box, right? But Jesus made it possible through partnership, through relationship to love God, to pursue God, to love him deeper, to love him more intimately through the cross. And he, and he allowed us to actually be heart level in what we're doing. Are you with me tonight? Heart level in what we're doing. When our hearts are yielded to his, we partner above the standard and beyond the sacrifice and move into partnering with his giving heart. Let me read that again. When our hearts are yielded to his, when our hearts are yielded to his heart, we partner above the standard and beyond the sacrifice and move into partnering with his giving heart. There was a song that I heard. Is this okay tonight? Am I, am I I'm on? Uh, I heard Jason Upton, uh, one of my favorite worship leaders, sing a song years ago. And he said, in the song, he says, this is no sacrifice. Here's my life. And I remember being so stirred because I thought, man, it, it's so costly for me to give certain areas of my life. Like it hurts. And I'm not saying it shouldn't hurt a little, but it was like I was almost meriting myself because I was giving to God areas of my life. <clears throat> but I noticed like in my marriage is it I don't really look at it that way. Like I, to go out of my way to do something for my wife, I don't really look at it as sacrifice. It might cost me something in the sense of that I have to go out of my way to do it, but it's like my joy. It's like my pleasure to go out of my way to do something for my wife to show that, that I love her because we're partners. And this is the same way it is with God. When we love God, we bring the sacrifice, we bring the generosity, we give our hearts, but it's not like a uh, check, check, check. It's just like, God, you have my heart. It's really not a big deal. This is no sacrifice. Here's my life. The advantage is really all mine. 
And I can tell you that although it may hurt at moments to give up certain areas of our life, there's always that pleasure in it. And if we do it grudgingly, and I believe this is what, what the scripture is talking about, the passage we read, is if we do it gr- grudgingly, that it's not a pure offering. So if we bring our tithe or we bring our time and we're doing it with a grudging heart, then it's really not an offering to our God at all. It's just law. Are you with me? Okay. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place. In generosity, sacrifice, sacrifices are more pleasurable than painful. In sacrifice, in, in generosity, sacrifices are more pleasurable than they are painful. That's not saying that they're not painful. It's not saying that there might not be an inconvenience but there's more pleasure in it. We're joyed to do it. But sometimes you have to put in the hard work to recognize the reward that's in it. Are you with me? But most people never taste that because we are so consumed in our culture with never going through anything difficult. We're so consumed with everything being easy. And I don't want to do anything that's going to make me uncomfortable. So we never find true joy because we're not willing to give up something that's a little uncomfortable on this end. But then after we do it, we're like, wow, why didn't I live like this before? I love the way Paul puts it here in Acts chapter 20. He says, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. He's saying it's not about the things. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how to help those in need by working hard. He was being generous. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than it is receive. Now, I don't know about you, but my whole life, I didn't believe that. Really? I mean, it's more blessed to give than receive. And I thought, really? Like, oh, yeah, that's good. It's in the Bible, right? Yeah, I believe you. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, high five. But inside, I'm like, no. No, it's not. It's way better to receive. Come on. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You've been there. And then I became a little more generous. And I started giving a little bit. And I started recognizing it really is better. There really is more pleasure in giving than there is receiving. There really is. And so, but you have to taste it to understand it. You have to go there to have been there. You know what I mean? And so for much of my life, I never went there. And so now I'm, I'm starting to get this grid that it really is better to give. And I think being a parent, you, this is one of the things that you learn. It's, there's so much pleasure in the giving of life to your children. And we learn so much of that because we, we just recognize, I, I love to give to my kids. You know, sometimes I wish I could just give them everything that they wanted, you know, and sometimes I probably give them more than I should give them. You know, I probably spoil them a little bit because it is so fun to give to them. And there really is more joy in it. Are you all okay tonight? I want to share this, uh, pass this story along. I'm just going to read it. It says, A story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched 
and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift a, a solace hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. One of the assistants was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins would have adequately met the beggar's need. Why give him gold? And Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins would have suited the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Something is hindering our mentality as givers. Many times we're thinking about the need and we're not thinking about who we are and the way that we... Can I tell you tonight that you're royalty? I want to talk, for, since we're doing this series called Over, I want to talk about overcoming hindrances of divine partnership. I'm going to try to fly through this. But overcoming hindrances of divine partnership. Things that keep us from really partnering with God. And the first one is lack. Right? Like a partner with God if I had more money. Right? Like a partner with God if I had more time. If I had more energy, I could partner with God. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. We love this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. In the Hebrew, that actually means I shall not be in lack. I shall need of nothing because God is my shepherd. He is my provider. I do not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the presence of your enemies, God provides for you pleasure. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So scripture tells us that we will never be in lack. My God shall supply all your need, your lack, according to his riches and glory. How many know that you need need? You need need because God is a supplier of needs. So in order for God to be a supplier of needs, you need the need in your life. Right? So need is just opportunity. Lack is opportunity for you to give, but not just for you to eat the seed that he provides to fill the need. So with our time, we have to manage our time so we have some to give. The biggest excuse in the world for any of us is I don't have time. But the fact of the matter is, is we all have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, except for on leap year. We all have the same amount of time, but how are we managing our time? So we can never use the excuse legitimately saying, I don't have time. I don't have time for that. No, you won't make time for that. So don't tell God you don't have time because he's the one that gave you your time. Energy. So what do you do about energy? 
you have to rest. You have to manage your energy, right? Are you all okay tonight? Not quite. Okay. Third of all, money. Oh, it is cold? Oh. Turn the heater on. Come on. Cold. It's cold. Money. I think cold, cold cash. We're talking about money. So we have to work. If you lack money, what do you do? You go get some. <laughs> How do you get some? You go work. I want to be a generous person. I want to be generous with my finances. Then figure out a way to make some money. You're a king and a priest. You minister before the Lord and you can get out there and you can work and bring in the harvest of finances that God has provided. So we have to work our ears off. I know for me, the motivation of me working is not so I can have more money to provide for my needs. No, no, no. The re- God takes care of my needs. The reason why I need more money is because I need more resources to invest in the kingdom. Not just so I can live in a bigger house. This is really, I'm not just saying this. We, we're really coming to this revelation in our life. We've been out here, and I, I probably mentioned this before, we've been out here like every month at the end of the month. I'm like, how the heck are we doing so well? Like, I have all these little, like, part-time jobs. Like, none of them on their own would be enough to provide. So I'm, like, working these jobs, and I'm doing this thing. And it's like, at the end of the month, we're looking over our finances. We're going, how the heck are we making more money than we've ever made in our life? I mean, we really are. And I'm not saying that as a bragging thing. I'm just going, I don't know how it's happening. I do know how it's happening. It's the blessing of the Lord. But it's because we're kingdom-minded. The whole reason why we moved out here, the whole reason why we were concerned and reluctant is because how am I going to provide for my family? God, you need to help my unbelief. And then what God does is he kicks in and he starts being a blessing to us. And here we are. We're going, what the heck? It doesn't even make sense that we're so blessed. It's like it totally makes sense because probably more than any other time in your life, you've been really more about the kingdom. They'll say probably, maybe. Yeah, I, I say that a lot. I'm sorry. I know it's an uncommitted statement. So we have to work, and then not only do you have to work, you have to manage your money well. Come on, you probably not manage your money well if you're eating out eight or nine times a week. Well, that's how I manage my time well. Okay, if you could afford it. So tithe 10, save 10, give some away. Come on, Invest. It's an investment. You can't outgive God. It's true. It's a reality. So you just be a giver. You be generous. I've never known a broke or unhappy generous person. I've never met someone that was generous that was broke or unhappy. Never. In fact, the most generous people are the most blessed people that I've ever known. That's the reason why they're so blessed. Because they partnered with God. Okay, so lack. Number two is greed. Greed is the second thing that will... Hinder divine partnership. Greed eats the seed, right? I, you, you see, you know, you see people when they when they uh, when they're immaturity when they get money they're like, oh, I'm gonna go buy me something. But I'm gonna go buy me an Xbox One that just came out. Oh, I got three hundred dollars. I'm gonna go buy it or eight hundred dollars or how much ever it is, right? How much it is? Immaturity, right? Eat the seed. Greed holds, but generosity releases. How greedy are you with your time? I'm not just talking about coming to church, serving at church. I'm talking about how greedy are you? When's the last time that you went and did something to serve the community? How greedy are you? I just don't have time for that. I know. And that's why. 
because you won't do it. So you feel like you don't have any time. You feel like your time is drained. You feel like your time was taken from you. Why? Because you were greedy with your time. My time. The other night, we got a, uh, you know, we like to spend a lot of time with our family. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of selfish about it, which I think to a certain degree you should be. And so we're, uh, I get an email to the church email, and it was a lady. She's like, can you help? We were sitting in staff meeting. It's like two weeks ago, and I was like, it was like well, we'll try. What, what can we do? And she said, well, I need, we're in this hard place. We don't have a job. We need money. We need gas money. Blah, blah, blah. I said, well, what we can do, because we have some groceries in the garage, and, um, and so I said, well, what we can do, because I try not to give people like that money. I try to help them, but not necessarily give money, because I, I want to be a good manager of what God has given me, of the seed that God's given me. And so I said, well, I was like, we'll bring you some groceries. I said, can we come? Da, da, da. She's like, no, no, no. She said, well, can you come tonight? I said, yeah, we'll come tonight. And I was like, where are you at? Because I thought she was in Grand Prairie, right? Because she found the website. Well, she's like in Arlington, you know, probably like 30 minutes away. I'm like, okay. And so Leslie and I, and I we, you know, I'm just, I'm letting my right hand know what my left hand, I don't really care like what you think about me sharing this. I'm not trying to be like a braggart. So we, we picked up the kids and we told the kids, we, we said, hey, there's this lady that she contacted the church today and she wants, she, she needs some help. So we're going to go get some groceries. So we went as a family. We, you know, we, we got the groceries and we loaded the groceries up in the car. We took them uh, to this woman and the kids weren't in on all the action, but we wanted them to understand that this was good, a good investment of family time. In fact, there were, there, there's probably not very many ways that we could have. That, that was a lot better than taking them to Six Flags. Come on. And, or go to Chuck E. Cheese like we did the other night. That was good. That was fun. But that was way better than Chuck E. Cheese. They're going to really remember that. That's going to be the thing that marks their life. So how are we being greedy with our time. Do some st- stuff like that with your family. Uh, another thing is energy. Stop complaining about how tired and burned out you are and labor in some areas that you and your heavenly father can enjoy. So don't be greedy with your energy. I just know oh, I'm so burned out. The only reason why you're burned out is because you're not investing your time. I've never met someone that is about the kingdom business that has been burned out. Never. I think about Bill Wilson who's in, who's in New York City. He's like I don't know, he's probably like in his 60s or 70s now. Like, the guy's got to be old. And he's like, this guy, like, gives his life every day, every stinking day. He's on the streets ministering to kids. And you don't ever hear him say, I'm burned out, I'm burned out. You don't ever hear the whining. I'm so burned out, I just don't have any energy. I mean, I've given like 8,000 hours a week to these kids on the street. I'm so burned out. You don't ever hear people that are really giving their lives away and being generous with their energy. You don't ever hear them complaining about being burned out. The only people I ever hear complaining about being burned out are people that aren't doing anything. So burned out. What are you doing? I don't have any energy to do anything. I know. So do something. All right. Money. You know, when you're greedy and money, give some away. Nothing's going to help you let go of that money than just giving it away. You know, start tithing. Uh, Do that. Start tithing more. Don't Don't tithe off your gross. Tithe off your net. And then start giving more. If you're not tithing yet, then start tithing. That's a good place for you to start. With money, hoarding is not management. Understand that. There's a difference between saving and hoarding. Come on. Saving means you're saving it to spend it on something later. Hoarding is like, I just need to keep all this money because I don't want it to be gone. I don't want something to happen. That's hoarding. That's not saving. 
Well, there's wisdom in saving. Come on, you need to save. God is working through you, so don't constipate the process. And don't be greedy. And that's what greedy, greed does is it, is it makes us constipated. It's like we're eating, eating, and nothing's coming out. We're just like, right? <laughs> eating seed. Okay, number three. So I know, I know tonight's kind of like through the list. Number one, lack. Number two, greed. And number three, and, and uh, this is kind of where it brings home tonight. Number three, the thing that will keep us from partnering with God in the area of generosity is, is a poverty spirit. <sighs> we lived in El Paso for, I lived there for 11 years. Leslie lived there all her life. And I noticed this thing about this city. Like, I noticed that, like, people would cut you off in traffic because they were afraid that, you were going to get in front of them. I noticed that when I went to a restaurant that someone would try to get in front of me. Like, I noticed that there was something free that they always got to it before I could. And it was like a threat that I'm afraid that I'm not going to get in front of you. I'm afraid that you're going to get the upper hand. What is it? It's a poverty spirit. It's one of the, the spirits that we believe that is very controlling over, over that city. I, I remember being in line at a place. Stand up real quick, Jaden. I remember being in a line one time in place. And, like, I was there first. Come over here. And I was there first in this line, and we're waiting in line right here. And I was here first like this. Oh, you stand there. I'm Jaden, and this is, I'm the other person. This is Josh. I'm the other person. I know we look alike, so it works. And so, so we were like this. I was there first, and this person's like, like, seriously, I'm not even lying. You can sit back down. They're like working their way to get in front of me in line. It's like this mentality in, in Eli and Jocelyn, you guys know, like, it's just this mentality over there. What is it? It's a poverty spirit. It's a spirit that fears that they're not going to get something. And so what it is, it's an orphan mindset. It's a slave mindset. It's driven by fear. It's, 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 it's uh, poverty. A spirit of poverty is, is, is uh, more than not having. It's a spirit that is fearful of not having. Let me say it again. A spirit of poverty is more than not having. It's a spirit that is rooted or, or that is fearful of not having. It's totally driven by fear. It's totally driven by, I'm afraid that if I don't get it first, I won't get anything. Now, this is not to be confused with being poor in spirit that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. That is actually a spirit that is driven by hunger for more, not a spirit of fear. Are you with me? There's a good, God puts in you desire, a hunger for more. But if you're functioning in fear that I won't have if I don't be more aggressive, that's a poverty spirit. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. We talked about this in the Abba series. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Now we call him Papa God. Why? Because he's a good provider for us. We didn't receive a spirit of fearful slaves. We didn't receive a poverty spirit. No, God put a spirit into you that says Abba Father, we receive that spirit of adoption that says, I will not be in lack. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in lack. God is the provider. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be fearful that my bills are going to be paid. I don't have to be fearful that I'm not going to have enough time if I invest. Overcoming a poverty spirit by functioning, the, the way that we do it is by functioning in the opposite spirit. 
the spirit of royal, royal generosity. Generosity takes you from the place of poverty to partner. So if you view yourself as poor, if you have a poverty mentality, then what you've got to do is you've got to start acting like a partner. You've got to start acting like the father who's a provider. You've got to start being the one to give, give stuff away giving your time away, giving your energy away. I shared this story several months ago. I was in Burleson at a, at a QT. I call it quick time because I'm always like doing video. It's not quick. It's quick trip, but uh, I'll always call it quick time. So I'm going to go to quick time and, and I get my soda, you know, and everything. And I'm walking out and there's this lady. She's just a mess. You know, you could tell she was probably financially poor. And she walks in and she's just complimenting everybody. She's just like, oh, that's something beautiful. Oh, I like this. And she just come in and she was, and I was just like, man, here's a lady that gets it. She was finding value in complimenting other people. She had a generous spirit. Even though she might have been lacking financially, she had a generous spirit. It ministered to me so much. I was driving home. I was like, oh, lady, she told me she liked my shoes or whatever. I don't remember what it was. But how many people that made their day because this woman was living with a generous heart? It's really a recognition that says everything that I have belongs to God. So why do I want to be a person that would just constipate the process? So time, you got time. Be a good steward. Being a good steward involves being generous with your time. You want to be a, you want to be a good manager of your time? Then be generous with your time. Don't be selfish with it. Don't be stingy with it. Energy, since you have a surplus of energy... Serve like a king and rule like a servant. Serve like a king and rule like a servant because you have it. You can afford to serve somebody. You can afford, just like that woman, she could afford to give that compliment. So many people in that poverty mindset, they say, I can't afford to let you cut in front of me in line. I can't afford for you to... To, 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 to say something negative to, to me. If you do that, that's going to ruin my confidence. So I've got to backfire. No, no, no. A generous spirit can blow those things off. Because those people aren't your supplier. God is. And you've got that reality. So you can serve like a king and rule like a servant. And then, of course, our money. It's the, it's the same thing. Just combat that opposite spirit. That says, oh, if I give, then I'm not going to have it. That's fearful. The orphan. You're not an orphan anymore. You're a king. You're a priest. I'm going to close with this story. Mark chapter 12. We've heard it many times. It says, Jesus sat down near the, the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came. And she dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called the disciples to him. He said, hey guys, come here. And he said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything. She had to live on. Why did Jesus highlight this woman? Because in the kingdom, she was the richest person in the room. 
she was the richest person in the room. Because in the kingdom, being rich is not measured by your bank account or how big your house is. It's measured by your generosity. Generosity. 